All right, good morning, church. My name is Alan, and uh, as mentioned before, I'm going to give a somewhat of a sermon slash debrief of our trip to Africa last month and share with you some biblical insights and also things that we might apply here within our own area of ministry. And can you guys see the screen okay? I know it's uh, might be a little bit dim, but if you want, feel free to move up. That's fine. Um, as Jason read, this the purpose of our trip was really focused on that verse in Psalms chapter 2, talking about the kingdom of the Messiah. Now, obviously, this was prophesied prior to Christ, but it's insightful for us to consider what's actually happening, what this verse entails. That the Father said, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. So when the Father proposes that to the son. What do you think the son said? Okay, Jesus, I'll take the uh, Western Hemisphere, or I'll take these rich nations, or maybe I'll just take some of it now and some of it later. No, he, the reign of Christ extends everywhere. It's all of the earth. The fullness of the earth is the Lord's and everything within it. This is, this is what is promised to the son and our reigning king. And that's what we must keep in mind. This is what we have going into this situation, the Congo. The specific reason we were there <clears throat> was to support a Christian organization called the Rassemblement d'Enfants de Dieu pour la Transformation du Congo. In short, that is, in translation, that is the gathering of the children of God for the transformation of the Congo. I'll shorthand, it's uh, Redetco. Um, winning the DRC for Christ. Bringing the laws, the rules, the customs of the Congolese people in alignment with biblical teaching and God's law. This was the, the objective. <clears throat> As well, you can, uh, another verse to kind of set the stage here from Psalms chapter 100 or 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So as Christ is in the position of authority, reigning, sitting with the Father until all of his enemies are put under his footstool. This is the mindset of this organization, Redetco, for how they are approaching what they find in Congo. It's been around for about 40 years now. So long-term effort, as we mentioned earlier, for those who think that they, they're looking for just a quick win, an easy victory, put that out of your mind, right? That's on God's timing. And if God wants us to labor for, for generations, that is what we ascribe to. It is not a political entity. It's an organization which equips Christians, be they politicians or lawyers or business people, on how to apply the teachings of Jesus Christ in their specific domain. The network actually includes about a thousand churches, so it's, it's kind of a big player there in Congo. In fact, the, um, the head guy of Redetco, Archbishop Lamba Lamba, is the spiritual advisor to the president of Congo. So I know here in America, we've seen pastors take pictures with presidents and stuff like that. That's about the equivalent in America, where you have someone who's actually not just a spiritual advisor, but seen as a spiritual father. There's an image in his office with the two of them, the president and the archbishop. And the archbishop is actually in the position of honor with the president in a more uh, uh, under a, beneath, a role that's beneath that. So just that's the scale. So he invited us to uh, share our experiences to the, this conference that he put together. So it was quite a great honor 
a lot of pressure. Um, and for us to share just our thoughts and how we apply it in America, maybe they could take some lessons in Congo. This is the deputy of Redetco. Um, I, I can't pronounce the name properly, so we just call him the, the big bishop from Bujumai. He's a tall man, like a NFL linebacker, but good guy nonetheless. They invited, oh boy, let's zoom in here a little bit. So here's our, our travel team. On the left were the three Americans here, myself and two of the Saints from Pennsylvania. The middle guy is Pastor Silas. He is the son of the deputy, the previous picture that we saw. You guys will meet Charles next week from South Africa. This is our friend, our brother Oscar. He is born and raised in Congo, but now serves as a, mission, a missionary in South Africa as well. Came back for our behalf to help us translate, understand the culture, local dialect. And this is Pastor Bidu. He is the son of the archbishop. So it's also interesting that you have the top two guys of this organization, Rudetko, and their two sons are pastors now carrying it on. So again, for parents, for children, just think about that, of the things that you've labored towards, how will you hand that legacy and raise your children up in the Lord to continue this movement for Christ? The Redeco organization provided us translators, so our job was just to show up, come prepared. They provided the, the translators for us, again, during the conversation. I have a video coming up here as well as a driver, so they're extremely gracious hosts. We paid our own way, but they took care of all the other logistics that we could not do on our own, just being outsiders. And we absolutely benefit from the years of labors of those who went before us. So you guys know Ron Kranz, again, and others who have labored in this area, as well as Jason, labored in these countries in Africa for years and years, plowing through that hard ground. So when folks like me come in as a first timer in Africa, it, it seemed like fairly smooth sailing. They wanted to receive us, they were attentive, they were gracious hosts. Um, but a lot of that I didn't labor for myself. I simply benefited from, from that. And a verse from John chapter four uh, talks about that concept of that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So even in your conflict today, if you're at GMU, or out on the street, or an abortion mill, or doing something, and just feels like nothing is working. You're preaching the gospel, but they're just not receiving you. They're, they're spitting vile language at you. They're just complete hatred towards what you're trying to do. Don't neglect that, because the Spirit is still working there. And even if you don't personally see it, the Holy Spirit will use that obedience to carry on, and someone else will come in behind you preaching at GMU, and they might be welcoming them to say that, yes, we want Christians to come in here to preach the gospel to our students. Again, that's on God's providence, but do not neglect our obedience today, despite how hard that work may seem. I have an example presentation here uh, just to show what it was like. <clears throat> Sorry. In, the, in short, we, Congo is interesting because I've been to a number of nations across the world and usually English is good enough to get by. You can make some hand gestures, you can speak a little English and they understand you. In this area, Lubumbashi, Congo, that was not the case. My English did not serve me at all. I had a bare minimum of French from college that some of it kind of came back and I had Google Translate which helped. 
But otherwise, the primary languages were French and Swahili. Swahili, I, I got nothing on that one. Um, but French, there was a little bit. So again, the translator is absolutely crucial to our ability to communicate. And not just on a basic level, like, hey, where's the bathroom? How, do I, how much for the bottle of water? But very deep concepts during the course of these presentations. Um, this shows just a picture of the audience here. And again, those who were invited were from all walks of life. We had current politicians. We had candidates who were seeking office during the election, I believe in December of this year. There were lawyers, law enforcement, doctors, business folks, um, regular folks from society, but very educated, very smart on the Bible. And folks who just genuinely interested about the things of the Lord, very passionate about how the word of God might apply to their situation um, in Congo. Just one note on the logistics for anyone who plans um, foreign travel is to plan ahead and get on that. Just as a quick notion, to get into Congo, it's, uh, you, have to, you require a visa. You can get a one-day, a one-entry visa, two-entry, or multiple-entry. You'll be there for a long time. The normal fee is $100. So for me, fill out the stuff, go to the embassy in downtown D.C., bring your paperwork. They're like, oh, everything's in order. Give them the 100 bucks and they will ship it back to you. Uh, another traveler did not do that. They went through a third-party agency and they ended up paying $1,100. Quite a difference. I was like, what did you pay for? <clears throat> so he goes to the bill. It's like, uh, you know, administrative fee. There's the Congolese Department of Health for such and such. This and that, like $400. Uh, expeditions fee, $500. And so we, we get to... Uh, Congo, and our guy's like, that department doesn't even exist. Like, that's not a real thing. So I don't know where your money's going, but anyways, if, if you plan foreign travel, do your homework, do your research, it'll save you a ton of money and headache and stress because there are people out there who will, you know that you're a rich American and they, they know how to siphon that from you. Um, just uh, moving on here, the situation in Congo, it's, as far as the people now, that the Congolese people, and keep in mind that there's a Democratic Republic of Congo and there's a Republic of Congo. So I'm talking about DRC. They're, they're right next to each other. A lot of turmoil in their history. Uh, the DRC, there are 48% consider themselves Protestant. 47% consider themselves Catholic. So in total, 95% have sort of a biblical underpinning of how they view the world. I would say they view the world, the word of God, extremely important despite a low literacy rate. What I mean by that is if I were to tell a person something, this is the word of God, Jesus said this, even if they can't read that themselves in the Bible, they will pay attention. They're like, oh, I, I better listen up. That's important stuff. As opposed if I said, you know, the, the president said this, I'm like, eh, okay. But when you say, when you tie your message back to the word of God, ears start perking up. And so that's not to be lost. Even here, even atheists in America benefit from biblical principles that are underpinning our society and how we function. Even if they themselves reject the Bible, they are still benefiting from God's general grace there for our country. What, what's also interesting to me was that there is minimal, if not no accept, or if not uh, almost non-existent acceptance of abortion sexual deviancy, and vaccine mandates. Whereas in America, Christians seem to struggle with those the most, right? Even amongst professing Christians have a hard time wrestling with those from the word of God. 
Um, so so when we as we're talking to them, we said, you know, yeah, we've got you know, we're murdering 3,000 children a day here. Uh, it's kind of free for all. Do what you want. They're, they look at us and like, what? why are you guys doing that? Like, you're the wealthiest nation in the world. You have um, you know, monetary and other resources galore. Like, why are you killing so many of your children? So for us to explain why that's happening, short of an outright rejection of God and his creation, the image bearers of God, like, that's exactly what it is. We reject God and we reject what God stands for in his creation. We're killing our own children because of it. Or sexual deviancy, again. There's no actual benefit from that besides your own personal lust or pride or sin or whatever it is. Again, another outright rejection of God. But we, we, we talk about these concepts and they're like, okay, that's not an issue here, so just kind of move on, which was just an interesting dynamic. Um, on the vaccine mandates, if you guys were following the news when that happened, the U.S. offered some of these experimental medical things to other countries. Some countries took it as well as the strings attached. Many countries in Africa actually pushed back and subsequently received the ire of the United States government. So it put them in a very difficult situation. Uh, Tanzania, I believe, the president was very outspoken about um, these foreign things coming into his country, said no thanks, and shortly found himself uh, suddenly dead in an accident. So. I'll leave that, uh, leave that to what you guys want to make of it. In Congo, there is a long history of, oh, sorry, let me pause here real quick. This is a fun one. Um, in Congo, there's a long history of political turmoil, right? Since the 1960s, communism was real big. That's when the Cold War era, and I believe under Eisenhower, we actually rejected the Congolese local favorite and, and kind of backed a, a more communist-friendly guy um, to, to, influence, uh, to, to, to lead the country. And since then, a number of just despotic rulers from Kasavubu, Mobutu, uh, Kabila, Kabila's son, who had his father killed and then he assumed the presidency. So just decades and decades of this kind of really toxic, really bad political environment. Now we have a situation which I believe is God-ordained, uh, other President Shishiketi, who's a very outspoken Christian, saying that, yes, I want to take my country, steer my country towards God's law instead of our bad history from colonialism, from post-colonialism through these despots to where Congo's going in the future. This is the political foundation now. He's obviously not popular with the Congolese deep state, but he is trudging forward nonetheless. This image here, just as a quick backdrop, it is a third world country. So if you guys think DC's traffic, DC traffic is bad, just take a quick look here. This is at one of the major intersections. There are stoplights and walkways, but they don't work. Um, so if you're driving or trying to cross the street, here's what we face here. So this is what we're looking at. So that's just kind of it. We didn't we didn't run into any car accidents, right? We didn't, you know, thank God we didn't get into any car accidents ourselves. But that's that was kind of the norm there. And just just as a cultural context, again, when you're in a third world environment, it looks significantly different if you've never been to a place like that. If you're always familiar with how we run things in America, but um, 
yeah, that's just something for consideration. Again, if you travel or as you're trying to relate, teaching biblical principles, the examples you use, the things you say, trying to couch it in a way that makes sense to the receiver. I think that's important no matter your walk in life. If you're communicating to college students or other Christians or politicians or whomever you may be talking to, understand how they view the world. Not that you, you compromise on your message, but speak in a way that they will receive. Like, oh yeah, I, I get what you're saying now. Now, otherwise, you'll be talking around each other. Um, so that's, uh, again, the, the, the nation of Congo itself is very economically depressed. Most people, I believe, live on $1 to $2 a day. The exchange rate is about 2,300 Congolese francs to $1. Um, but there is a, a large cash and underground economy. So because of the political turmoil of the past several decades, the, the corruption, all of that that they're dealing with, People have, they, they're not able to specialize. By that I mean, in America, I can be a mathematician and get along just fine. I get a paycheck, go to the store and get food, I go to the hardware store and get supplies. Versus in Congo, if you want a hammer and nails, then either you make your own hammer and nails or you scrap it together. But you have, it's more of a, everyone has to be more generalized in what they do in terms of how they acquire food, tools, clothing, things like that. And the skills are generally more of where can you find work? So you'll find a lot of people in this environment are either taxi drivers, you just take people from here to there, or there's, they're mer selling merchandise. So we'll go through another video here just to show you one of the busier streets. And notice particularly all of the folks on the side, the unofficial merchants. So think of it as uh, you, have a, you have a pallet or a mat, you come in in the morning, you roll out your carpet, you set your wares out there, and you just sit in the hot sun all day long. People come by, maybe they buy some things, maybe they don't. At the end of the day, you pack it up and you go home. The next day, you come back and do it again. So this, uh, this next video will kind of show as we're driving, you'll see how many are on the side just laying out there. Again, this cash and underground economy. <clears throat> See the clothes up on the side there. Uh, more people just on the side. Some have booths. Some are just on the sidewalk. See the pants hung up by the wall. And towards the end, you'll see a group of guys, like kind of like a motorcycle gang, just hanging out. Those are actually taxi drivers. Uh, you'll see a group of people sitting on dirt bikes around the corner. Uh, coming up here in just a second. Actually, well, we didn't get that. At the end of the street, there was a normal busy intersection. Again, cabbies, motorcycle guys. And you see guys on motorcycles with two or three passengers behind them on the dirt bike, just taking people to and fro. Um, but again, that's kind of the, the situation that we're in. This was very prominent in Lubumbashi. Again, not a rich area by any means. Um, and here's another, whoops, let me get back here. Oh my goodness, I'm all messed up here. Okay, another just image of um, folks doing what they can do. So ladies carrying the baskets with wares going to and fro. Uh, you see the clothes strung up on the side there. Uh, just interesting environment that we're working with. And for me, again, it's I, I've been to Afghanistan, been to South Korea, been to a number of places that were uh, economically depressed, and yet this was still a little bit different. 
This image here shows uh, we were at the airport flying from Ethiopia into Congo. <clears throat> and not the stereotype, but you'll notice that these are not Congolese, they're not European, they're not American. I believe 75 to 80% of my flight was Chinese, actually. I did not see any of them in Congo when we actually got to the country. So that's part of the <clears throat> part of this their situation as well is um, Congo for a long time has been under the influence of a lot of foreign intervention. A lot of wealthy nations will go in there, set up a mine, extract the minerals for a buck or two a day, sending children to process this by hand, and then we take the money and go. And it, for anyone who has one of these devices, this, um, this tablet, this projector, all of that, you understand the crucial minerals, right? Lithium, cobalt, there's big gold, uh, copper uh, mines over there. That's what they do. And, and now, going back to Redetco, they realize this. Your country is sitting on trillions of dollars of natural resources, so why are you the, one of the poorest nations in the world? That is the big question. And from Proverbs 13, verse 23, the Bible says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. If you're a business owner and you say, I want to set up a legitimate business here to grow the economy, to... Um, do better for my people, but you have such corruption from the government, you know, low domestic or foreign, to take that away, you're not going to invest there, even as a legit business owner. It's, it's very difficult to start doing that. Um, the Chinese, uh, Chinese, India, United States, United Nations, all of us have a hand in this situation of just extracting resources at the expense of the Congolese people. And this does remind me from, you know, we've studied Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, God's blessings and curses quite extensively. So go back and read through that. One verse that often comes up is that those who hate you will rule over you. In America, we, we look at D.C. and say, yeah, it's absolutely true. Those who hate you will rule over you. They'll let you know it. But that also applies internationally, too, where for years and years of just disobedience to God in how their culture, how their economy, how their government is set up, you see... Folks who hate the Congolese ruling over them from an economic sense. Now, for some encouragement, focusing back to the Come and See networks, that network of a thousand churches that I was talking about, they are serious about not just having church in a building, but expanding to other areas of life. And if it's not there, build it. This here shows a, a pediatric and a maternity ward. A few years ago, Ron and Charles and others were there praying over a patch of dirt. And they said, our people need medical care. Okay, church, build a medical facility. So after years and years of labor, they have one up and running, which is absolutely encouraging to see. This is the, the, uh, the ward for new mothers who have given birth, kind of a resting area for them to just relax in a clean facility not be in that hustle and bustle from the what you saw previously. They just have a nice facility for new mothers, new babies. And this picture here, it really struck me. Um, the translation is that, is you will not die giving life. Right? So it's for pregnant women and in America, specifically in the black community, that is the number one lie that we tell, is that if you are a mother and you give birth, you will probably die, despite Years and years of human history. This is a natural process part of God's design, but that is the one lie used to justify killing your child. If you don't kill your preborn child, 
that you yourself will die. And so this image here just really struck me as something prominent of that message to say, no, that children are a gift of the Lord. Like this is a blessing to be able to bear children, to conceive and to continue on your prodigy. It's actually um, quite a blessing from the Lord. So I was encouraged to see that. Um, next up, we have education. So the Come and See Network also built a university. Again, we complain about the public education system a lot. Well, okay, start your own. Be it a homeschool, be it an actual facility itself, but offer, offer an alternative to whatever the state is doing if you don't like it. Right? If you're going to take your kids out of there, where are you going to put them? Start to think in that, in that direction of how do we actually establish the kingdom of God? How do we advance it in all of these areas? Uh, medicine, previously you saw, now we're talking about university. This woman here uh, who works in their hospital was a graduate from their university. So three years ago, they started graduating their first medical students. Medical students come back and work now. And so um, what's also encouraging is now you have institutions that are founded on biblical principles. So if somebody comes in, they say, oh, doctor, I've got, a, I've got a pain in my shoulder. Can you give me some pills for it? And I'll be on my way. Or how our industry is somewhat incentivized to keep you as a lifetime patient. You know, you've got this chronic disease. We don't know what's wrong with you, but keep taking these pills. Come back to me every month or so, and, and you pay your, your insurance company. They'll pay me on and on. Here, they understand that the goal of medicine is to get people healthy and productive and out of the way. I don't want to see you as a lifetime patient, and they know that. They also realize that there's a need for spiritual healing as well as the physical. So every patient that comes in, number one, they pray with them and for them, okay? Establish what's going on, and then go to the physical ailments. Is it a physical thing? Is it a stomach thing? On and on, that's, that's how they approach it. It's almost a foreign concept here in the Amer in, um, American major medical establishments, even the ones that were founded by Christians, right? A lot of the larger medical networks founded by Christians have since gone away. A lot of the major universities, look at all the Ivy Leagues, look at their history, who founded them and why, and now you will not find the Bible or Christ mentioned anywhere in those higher, again, so-called levels of higher institution. So... Really unfortunate, but this is where they are taking the opposite approach, saying, yeah, things are wrong. We'll point that out. We'll call that out. But we're also going to be building like Nehemiah while we're in this battle. This is our brother Luke praying over one of the sick patients there. <clears throat> I believe they had a case of malaria. Um, malaria, some of the guys we were talking to didn't. I don't want to downplay it, but for us in America, if you're going over there, you require the yellow card. They make a real big deal out of it. I talked to Pastor uh, Bidu about malaria. He's like, yeah, I probably get it two or three times a year. I get it, I kind of recover, and I, I move on. So, yeah, not, not to doubt. I know malaria is a serious thing. There, there are treatments for it and, and preventative measures you can do. But sometimes it, America looks at foreign things. They're like, oh, scary, scary. And eh, it's not really that bad. Okay, now, as far as, and, and this is one other one. This is a new ground. They've, I think there's like 200 acres that they've got out here. Brand new ground, got waterfront, a lot of things to clear up, but they're always thinking ahead. Again, as a church, consider that for us here at Crossing Crown, where do we want to be in this area of Warrington? I know we have talents in agriculture, in business, in technology. So just ponder which of these institutions might we start getting into 
We don't like how it's, it's being done from the enemies of God. Well, let's set something up ourselves, maybe informally, maybe start small, but start building towards that and start building towards that to the long term. Again, these guys have been laboring in this area, Lubumbashi and elsewhere in the Congo for 40 plus years now. Their sons are kind of moving into that role of leadership where their fathers were. So how will your children kind of move into your respective roles here to carry this forward? And be it quick or a long-term thing, that is what we are called to labor towards. And I think that's uh, just something to keep in mind. As far as our topics, um, one thing that was also is interesting is that we did not we, we prepared, but we didn't coordinate our messages. So I, I'm the, I have a military background. So a lot of my topics geared towards warfare and military in that sense. Uh, we had a pastor, we had teachers, we had locals. But during the course of the, the conference, our things just seemed to align. Like I would say something, someone else would give a sermon, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that triggers this other idea, and we kind of build on that. So just how God uses people with different skills and talents to weave together an overall message, something that we could not do ourselves, but I know God is working th uh, through those who are obedient to him. And as I mentioned before, the topics were very serious things, very controversial by a lot of standards. Um, but, but with that in mind, um, Proverbs 16, verse 1 applies here. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We were, there was some apprehension first because we were the only speakers, the Americans, right? So you imagine, uh, pick, pick any of your large Christian institutions in America. They hold a national conference. We invite some foreigners to come by and say, well, these guys are the only ones who are going to speak. So American mega pastors, you guys step aside. We don't need you on this one. That was about the idea. So a lot of people came in like, who are these guys? You know, they, they don't have any credentials, whatever, this and that. But then over the course of the discussions, they were challenging us on a lot of things. And we were able to respond from a biblical sense. Um, for example, if you're a politician, you want to establish things. Is being Christian enough? If I call myself Christian, is that enough? No, you have to actually work towards it. There are things that God imbues you with to labor to make that come to reality. Or how, how can you be an effective Christian in a system that seems to hate Christianity? Do you compromise? Do you conform a little bit? Do you try to blend in and then sneakily fit in the laws of God through the side door? Are you more open about it? So we talked about a lot of these things here. And when the culture itself is corrupt, you try to change it from the outside, you try to change it from the inside. Like what are the different approaches to do to actually tackle that? Uh, these were the, the, the level of conversation that we had. We talked about the Ten Commandments, self-defense, politics, military, law enforcement. All of these things were on the table and they did not shy away from it, which... Again, in America, I know we have trouble. As I mentioned before, we just came from the Mars Conference. Many, many churches turned down that venue. They would say, yep, yeah, sure, you can have a conference in our church. We'll have you. And then they actually look at the topics, and they're like, ah, never mind. We don't actually want you to use our facility, even if there's no direct affiliation with them. So a lot of American churches are still very, very apprehensive on topics that are serious but might seem controversial, which is highly unfortunate. Um, now, moving on to the dinner. Again, we were very well received. This was at the Archbishop's house. He hosted a nice reception for us. Um, just 
again, very, very genuine. And I often think of how we treat one another in terms of our reception. If you're welcoming someone into your home, um, if you're just being a host of any sort, that's showing the love of God, showing that appreciation for their willingness to come and engage with you and just living life together, not transactionally, but more of as a family, as a community, as a body of believers under Christ, like having that model. Um, so I was very appreciative of that. This is just some dinner. Uh, I don't have a lot of food options. I like different kinds of food. It's a sidebar. Uh, not a lot of people like trying the local cuisine. Down at the bottom were uh, maggots of some sort. They were cooked. But a lot of Americans didn't accept that. There was some chicken, some fish, stuff like that. But I'm like, if it's if they're eating it, I'm eating it. That's fine. Other people were like, no, no, just give me the hamburger and French fries, a bottle of Coca-Cola, and we'll leave it there. Um, again, that's us. Uh, our driver, Pastor, uh, Pastor Samuel, again, very gracious guy, drove us around the country. Um, he was fantastic. This is towards the end of dinner. Again, Archbishop and uh, the other bishop's son, Pastor Silas, giving some closing remarks. On Sunday, we were given the privilege of, of actually preaching at one of the local churches. So the three Americans that went there, they're like, you guys, you're at this church, other guys at this church, someone else at this church. And it was new, it was very high energy, I will say, and very lengthy. Sermons there, not unusual to have a three or four hour sermon. A lot of music, really cranked up the volume on that. <clears throat> they had a, a baby dedication, which was interesting. So at the beginning of the service, all the new mothers, the new children, they would bring them to the front, say a blessing over them, um, kind of uh, give them the, the church's blessing on that. And that was kind of neat. And I asked them after, like, how often are you doing this? Every week. So this church here that I attended, there's probably 400 people jammed in there. If you, if you squint a little bit, even on the stairway, they're just packed in there. So again, there, there's a hunger for this. Now, speaking specifically of DR Congo, but I think there is that same hunger in America um, but unfortunately, the church is not willing to provide that food for people. We just kind of leave it to the state, we back off, I know it's too much work. But here, there is a genuine hunger for the Word of God, and we certainly want to capitalize on that whenever the opportunity happens. If you have someone showing even the least bit of interest in the gospel message, don't throw that away, because that will blossom into things that you do not yet know sometime in the future. But again, a real, real honor to be able to preach that. Um, within his church. Uh, this was uh, Pastor Bidu's church, so he is the son of the archbishop there. Again, they're all very nice. And my special thanks for the translators, too. It's one thing to translate, or it's one thing to interpret. It's another thing to really translate the language, because if I'm saying something in English, he has to translate it into French or Swahili. It's not just my raw words, but the context. So oftentimes I would say something, speaking in short sound bites, right? I would say something he translated, say something else he translated, say a third part. He Now he's like, oh, here's what he's really trying to say. Go back and translate that entire thought, not just that sentence. All the mannerisms, like pastors, you see, we, we do things with our hands, right? We're walking around, we're doing this, we're making gestures. They would imitate those gestures as well while they're communicating the message. So just to have that kind of mind, rapid fire, to imitate someone almost exactly, but in another language, I was absolutely impressed. Language is not my strong suit, so I'm, I'm always impressed for people who are able to do that. Uh, random picture of the worship team. You know, if you can see it, the, the, the colors, they're very vibrant. So I, I don't know what it was about that, but 
the dresses, the suits, people, the colors just popped. America is kind of drab. We, we wear a lot of browns and grays. Uh, not, not the case over there. So generally just a, just a positive atmosphere, which I really enjoyed about that. Um, and now I'm going to show when we get to later on, just towards the end here. Oh, this is, sorry, one more, one more image. This is now Pastor Silas, the other son. This was his church. I believe they built this in 2020 or so. Again, prior to that, just a flat ground. They start off in a home church. More people start coming. Hey, we need more space. What are we going to do? We'll erect this uh, kind of revival tent type structure. Go from there. So God's continued to do amazing work over there. And that's uh, me on the left, Pastor Bidu in the middle, and then Pastor Silas on the right. And this, uh, this one here, this is towards the end of the conference now. So towards the end, we, we actually gave them like, certificates of completion for doing this international training session, we called it, on, on biblical principles. And just the genuine joy kind of struck me. Because I'm like, yeah, you listen to stuff. I'm not really any credentials guy. But just extreme happiness. Music playing. Whole church up and dancing. Americans are taking videos because it's a new experience, but we don't really get a lot of this vibe of that level of completion. Just excitement for what the Lord is doing and how he is using you to move out in the culture. Like Again, just for me, it was new, new experience of, of getting that because we labor in America. And sometimes it's like, oh, GMU again. Okay, let's go here. Say prayer again, conversation. Okay, let me go home, and that's kind of it, right? That's how we approach mission work. Um, so, so I was really encouraged. Um, again, the big focus here, just to, to close it out, that we're focusing on the application of the Word of God in cult culture, not just knowledge. And training is fine; it's good to know Scripture. It's good, but you have to execute as well. And for Americans, really memorizing verses, having church service, this is all good, but this is preparation, right? You're being, we're equipping the saints, uh, kind of giving you the tools you need, but really the battle is out there. Like we take what we learn in here, we take the fellowship, the strengths, the bonds, but now we bring that fight, we advance the kingdom where it needs to go for those who are intruding on the kingdom of God. That's where the battle is, uh, and that's what we need to keep in mind, with God's authority handed down to us through Jesus Christ. We gather to refresh the fellowship to prepare. But again, if and, and as well, if you can have a lot of head knowledge, but until you apply it in a, you know, I call it a live scenario, people are calling you questions, you got multiple people coming at you, and now trying to memorize verses in that context while you're engaging five different people, like that's a different game. And so even for your own development, if you really want to test how faithful you are to God, how understanding you are of his commands, then try it in a setting where you're the only person arguing on that behalf and see how you do. So just as a self-reflection, if you've not been in that situation, I highly recommend it. Again, we're going to GMU every other week, plenty of opportunity to do so. But just to further your own walk with Christ, really put yourself to the test and see where you stand in a world that hates Christ. Um, just as a way forward to, to close it out here, that in Congo... One of the questions that I brought up during the, the sermon that I preached was, if there are so many Christians in Congo, right, again, 95% with some biblical underpinning, then why are there so many problems? And I, I boil it down, I proposed to them that it, it's not enough to just call yourself a Christian. You have to actually live it out. 
right? Christians, well, I'm a Christian because I dress nice or because I'm well-spoken, because I attend church every Sunday, because I go to Bible study. The atheist can have all this. Atheists can dress nice. Atheists can have the degrees and memorization, all that stuff. But it's really for those, if you're actually living and loving God's law, that is sort of the distinct mark. Are you actually obeying God's law first and foremost, even above controversial man-made laws? That will set you apart from everything else that might look like Christianity. So our people, our families, our churches, and indeed our local and national institutions must be rooted in Christ for this very reason. We, we talk about the blessings and curses of God and he's wondering what's wrong with America. Why are we seeing all these happenings? It's because we, who are the light of the world, have pulled back from that. In this room right now, <clears throat> as we change the settings, just ask yourself, did we turn on the darkness or did we turn off the light? That's a big distinction, right? Here, you don't turn off the darkness when you're trying, you don't turn on darkness when you're trying to go to sleep. You turn off the light. In society, as you remove these elements of light from education, from medicine, from government, from the military, as you pull this light away, what's the default? It's darkness. So don't be surprised when you say, well, things are falling apart. Families are broken. People are hurting. There's so much corruption. Yeah, no kidding. Because you've taken away the sound source, the foundation of reason and rationality in that sphere. And so what do you expect? So that's why we highly encourage that if something looks broken, something looks broken, that's why God is calling you to make disciples of the nations, to go out and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. That discipleship, that teaching has to be there too. Otherwise, we'll just complain to like-minded people all day long and not actually solve anything. We, as the light of the world, have to go out there and do this business as uncomfortable as it is. Um, but that is the calling from our King Jesus Christ. We see that happening in Congo. We see that happening across the nation. Um, and as well, just keep in mind too that as bad as things might seem, America is 5% of the world's population. 5%. So what God is doing elsewhere sometimes is completely foreign to the American people, but we were able to get just a small glimpse of that, and it's absolutely amazing, the things that God will do for people who are obedient to his law and his will. So that's, uh, that's all I have. Uh, this is us on the way out. So again, just a, quite a blessing. I probably got a lot more out of it than they did going out there, um, but it's quite a good uh, just good overall experience. Happy to entertain any questions after the, the uh, after service today. But yeah, that's all I got. So thank you very much for your attention. Thanks,